All right. Stupid thing. <laughs> that guy's all right. Ah. Yes. If, uh, man, oh man, that part, when we're free. We're free forever. Amen. Death was arrested and our life began because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And, and like Pop was saying this morning, no other reason than he loves you personally. You know, for when I remember growing up in, 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 a, in a different, um, a lot of different things, we thought of things a lot, a lot differently. Uh, in a lot of ways, not that we were, you know, anyway. <laughs> uh, but when the Lord began to really teach us about grace uh, and really teach us about God's mercy and God's love, and I remember when we first started listening and, 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 uh, to Pastor Chuck and, and the Calvary Chapel uh, preachers and, and them going systematically through the Word of God, and I had never heard the parables taught uh, the way Pastor Chuck taught them. And I remember as a kid, you know, we were always taught that the parable of the man who, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a, a treasure in a field. <clears throat> and so in order to purchase the treasure, he went and sold everything that he had so that he could purchase the field and thereby the treasure. And, you know, I was raised and we were always taught and thought that, you know, Jesus Christ is that treasure. And so we sell everything that we have because he's worthy of that. And, and we, we sell everything that we have so that we can purchase uh, that gift of Jesus Christ. And, and it was kind of the thought process. And then I remember Pastor Chuck saying, that's completely backwards. You can purchase what? You can't buy Jesus Christ. You can't buy the kingdom of heaven. The field is the world. You are the treasure. And Jesus Christ gave everything that he had to purchase the world. That's why in Revelation, when it says, who is worthy to loose the seals on the scroll? Remember, John says, I wept much, for no one was found on earth who was worthy to open the, the seals. And then I heard a voice in heaven say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he is worthy to loose the seals. And the, the, the scroll is the title deed to earth. And Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice, he purchased the earth for himself a possession, and thereby you and I, you are his great treasure. And listen, I don't know how to make you feel any better about yourself than right there. There's nothing I could say to you. There's no personal compliment that I could give you that's greater than the simple truth of the matter that you are God's great treasure. And you were worth it to him to give his only begotten son. And you were worth it to Jesus to lay down his life. Remember what he said, no one takes my life away from me. Disciples are getting all worked up. He's like, I could call 12 legions of my father's angels in heaven. No one takes my life away from me. I lay it down freely. I lay it down freely. That's the God that we serve. Amen. Uh, he is so good. So uh, I want to start a couple of announcements. First of all, it's Communion Sunday, so we're going to have our potluck after church, so you're all welcome to that. That's the first announcement. The second one is uh, we're going to have a cookie exchange at my house. Uh, it's, I think it's just for ladies, and that's this coming Friday, babe? This coming Thursday, okay. It's this coming Thursday, a cookie exchange at my house. I think there's a sign-up sheet out there, so ladies, please... Uh, um, make yourselves uh, at, at welcome to come to our house and, and sign up for that. We'd love to have you. So that's the second one. And the third one is Wednesday, uh, the 18th, is going to be uh, our Christmas party here for the little kids. 
Uh, we're going to be having a Christmas youth party over at the parsonage, and the adults are going to meet upstairs. Um, lastly, before we start, I just wanted to to pray, to take time to pray uh, for our sister Candace Adams. She's really not feeling well this morning. Uh, she's having some, some issues with her health, and so I just wanted to take time as a congregation to pray for her, and also for our brother Joey Diana, who has been, who's been dealing with some liver issues, um, and I wanted to pray for him as well. Is there anybody else here who would like us to pray for them while we're all here together? I don't want to leave anybody out, you know. Speak now or forever hold your peace. David. Okay, for Keith, for Keith Morrison, okay. And for Reggie. She, she's still dealing with the pneumonia. Just her general health. Okay. All right, I'll try to remember all these. Right. Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we are so grateful and we're so thankful for who you are. Lord, and we believe in you, Father, that you are the great physician, that you're the king of the universe. You created every single thing that is. Lord, and at a word from you, you can touch a person, you can heal a person, Father. And we confess to you, Lord, we don't even remotely understand the reasons why you choose to heal sometimes and why sometimes you choose not to heal. Father, we only know that it's our faith that allows us to trust in you, that you know what's best for each person, especially as it goes with their spiritual health, Father, and what they need or even what they need to go through, Father, to draw them closer to you. So we leave them in your hands, Father, but because we don't know the difference, we want to pray for everybody who's sick, Lord. We want to pray for everyone uh, who's having issues with their health, Lord, because we know that you can touch them, that you can heal them, and that you can make them whole. So we want to lift up to you this morning, Father Candace Adams, Lord, and we want to lift up to you Keith Morrison, and we want to lift up to you Joe, Diana, Lord, and we also want to lift up to you Reggie, Father. And we ask and pray, Lord God, that you would encircle them, Father, even right now while we're praying, Father, that you would put your hands upon their bodies, that you would touch them, and that you would bring healing to them, Father. We ask and pray, Lord God, that you would help them to feel your presence, Lord, even now while we're praying, Lord. And we pray, Father, that you would, you would just bring complete and total restoration, uh, Lord, to their bodies. And we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can do that, Father. And above all else, Father, we pray that your will would be accomplished, Lord, in everything that we do here in this place and that everything that's going on in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. <clears throat> we are in the book of Leviticus, and we're going to try to finish it up today. Leviticus chapter 27. Uh, we're going to try to go, get through the whole chapter, so bear with me. Um, try not to preach for more than two hours, you know, the usual. And nobody laughed. Everyone was like, what, what did he say? Uh, you can't, if you, as a preacher, if you get too, too much in the habit of, of preaching long, people start setting their alarms. You ever notice that? Like, oh my goodness, I forgot that thing was on. You know what I mean? So you've got to be careful. Um, Leviticus chapter 27 and Lord, we do want to ask that you cover this scripture for us, Father. I have absolutely no right uh, to say anything about this book, Father, that you haven't given me by the power of your spirit, Lord. So I pray that you would speak to us through this book today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Leviticus chapter 27, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when a man consecrates by a vow certain persons to the Lord, according to your valuation, if your valuation is of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver. Bear with me on this one, guys. According to the shekel of the sanctuary. 
If it is a female, then your valuation shall be 30 shekels. And if from five years old up to 20 years old, then your valuation for a male shall be 20 shekels and for a female, 10 shekels. And if from a month old up to five years old, then your valuation for a male shall be five shekels of silver. And for a female, your valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if from 60 years old and above, if it is a male, then your valuation shall be 15 shekels and for a female, 10 shekels. But if he is too poor to pay your valuation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for him according to the ability of him who vowed. The priest shall value him. If it is an animal that men may bring as an offering to the Lord, all that anyone gives to the Lord shall be holy. He shall not substitute it or exchange it good for bad or bad for good. If he at all exchanges animal for animal, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. If it is an unclean animal which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord, and he shall present the animal before the priest. And the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as, uh, as you, the priest, value it, so it shall be. But if he wants to at all redeem it, then he must add one-fifth to your valuation. And when a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall stand. If he who dedicates it wants to redeem his house, then he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall be his. And if a man dedicates to the Lord part of a field of his possession, then your valuation shall be according to the seed for it. A homer of barley uh, seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, according to your valuation, it shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall reckon to him the money due according to the years that remain till the year of Jubilee, and it shall be deducted from your valuation. And if he who dedicates the field ever wishes to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall belong to him. But if he does not, God bless you, but if he does not want to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be holy to the Lord as a devoted field. It shall be the possession of the priest. And if a man dedicates to the Lord a field which he has bought, which is not the field of his possession, then the priest shall reckon to him the worth of your valuation up to the year of Jubilee, and he shall give your valuation on that day as a holy offering to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought, to the one who owned the land as a possession, and all your valuations shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 garaz to the shekel. Okay? We're going to stop there, and we're going to try to bite off this portion before we finish it, all right? Uh, and we're going to go right back to verse 1 of chapter 27. Now, what is happening here, okay? I wish I knew. Can someone tell? No. What's happening here is, remember, this is still on Mount Sinai, okay? We haven't, this is not, we haven't moved forward from Mount Sinai yet. God is still speaking. We're going to find out at the very end of the chapter, just like we saw at the end of the chapter in 26. These are still the things that God is teaching in Moses and God is giving to Moses to then share with the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. He's telling them these things. And so all the things that God is telling Moses are future tense, all the things that he's talking to them about the land and about the sacrifices and about good versus evil and doing the right things and being obedient to God and what's going to happen if they do and what's going to happen if they do not. And all of these things are future tense. 
The children of Israel are still at the base of the mountain, and Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving all of this from the Lord. God calls things that are not as though they were. God knows the end, the Bible says, from the beginning. It's interesting that it doesn't say the beginning from the end. It says the end from the beginning. What that tells us is that God stands outside of time. There is no time in his presence. And so he can stand outside of the entire completed timeline and interact wherever he sees fit. And if that sounds confusing to you, it's supposed to because we're three-dimensional beings and we don't understand all of the dimensions that actually exist in our universe, okay? There are more dimensions, science has shown this, than what you and I inhabit. And that's where the spiritual realm is. The spiritual realm, it's not some ethereal, ooh, goo, ghosts and goblins. And that's not what the spiritual realm is. It's a dimension that you and I don't occupy because our bodies are not able to. Part of the, the, the idea of being glorified, and when we see Jesus, we will be like him, for we'll see him as he truly is. We are also going to be able to inhabit the spiritual dimensions. We'll be able to now see the Lord and we'll be able to see the angels and interact with them. They can interact with us. They can come and go as they please because they occupy all the dimensions. We only occupy three of them, right? We're three-dimensional beings. So the best way I could explain it to you is if you took, remember your, your pictures your kids draw in kindergarten class, you got your piece of paper and your little stick figures, and if you as a three-dimensional being were trying to interact with that little stick figure, it could only perceive you from its own uh, one-dimensional uh, perspective. Or is that two-dimensional? Thank you. <laughs> okay. Science is not my thing, all right? I'm trying the best I can here. So we don't understand and we can't see because we haven't been glorified yet. And when that happens, when Jesus Christ appears and he catches, he said the Bible says we'll be changed and then we'll be caught up together with him in the air. We'll be changed and we'll be like him. We'll be able to see these things. But God stands outside of time. God stands outside of time. Chuck Mister, if you, if you ever, uh, there's a website called khouse.org. And if you want to go there and really have your mind blown up, uh, you can go and read some of Chuck Mister's stuff. He, he talks, he has some hypotheses about the way time works and, and, and the way God works standing outside of time, that it's possible that when we die and we get to heaven, we'll all be getting there at the same time. <laughs> okay, sure, Chuck, I don't, I don't understand, you know. Um, but, but this is God speaking to Moses from outside time. That's the point I want you to take away from this. This is God seeing the end from the beginning and explaining these things to Moses. And this is what's going to happen, and this is what I want you to do, but when you don't do it, this is what's going to happen, and this is how I'm going to deal with my people. God knows everything, and here's the wonderful part about that for you and I, and yet he still loves me. Hello? He knows every single thing about me. He knows all the ways that I'm going to disappoint him this week. He knows all the bad attitudes I'm going to have. He knows all the things that I'm going to do that fall short of his glory. And yet, he loves me just the same. I love when the Bible says that he knows our frame. Remember, he built us. He knows that we're dust. So he's never surprised. And so don't ever, ever, ever in your life allow the enemy to tell you that God is done with you or that God is really upset with you or God is really disappointed with you now because you did this or because you didn't do that. God is never disappointed and he is never surprised. He knows exactly who you are and he sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to die for you. 
Now, this is the one part of grace. The other part of grace that we as Christians want to activate in our lives is grace is not a license for me then to continue sinning. Grace is not there for me to say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. God is still going to love me, though he does. The act of grace and the idea of what grace is should drive me to want to serve him more because he's so good because he's so worthy, and so I want to do better. And so when I fall short of the glory of God, I can instantaneously rise up knowing that I'm forgiven, and I can press forward into a deeper walk with God. That's what he wants. Some of the greatest communion and some of the greatest fellowship I've ever had with my children was right after they were disciplined, believe it or not. Right after they disciplined, because up until that point, there was a hardness in their sinful little hearts, right? And they were angry and they were upset. It's like, what do you have to be angry about? You just got done with a lollipop just now, you know, and you're, you're angry and yelling at people. What's wrong with you? You know, it's like, you know, to their brother or whatever. And well, so then the discipline comes, the discipline comes, and you think after you discipline your child, you take them and you discipline them after they'd be like, I hate you. It's the exact opposite. When a, child, when a child is disciplined, their heart is corrected, and they understand that you do it from love. If you're a good parent and you discipline correctly, they understand that you do it from a heart of love, and you explain that to them. And it's some of the greatest times of fellowship that I've ever had with my children when they're little is right after discipline. I hope you're getting the picture. God disciplines those whom he loves. And oftentimes the pain in our lives, whether it's discipline from God or whether it's just the happenstance and circumstances of life, because he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, God will use these things. That's where the Bible says God works all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his will and his purpose. That's what it's talking about, whether it's God's discipline or whether it's just tough times in life. He always wants to use those things to sharpen our focus and draw him closer into his presence, okay? That's the way God works. And so he's telling Moses all of these things, and he's giving him all of these rules and regulations, knowing that they're going to blow it, and knowing that he's going to have to correct them and discipline them, and knowing that it was for the greater work that you and I, in 2019, almost to 2020, would be reading this book and taking this in for ourselves. In other words, spiritually speaking, when God was talking to Moses here on Mount Sinai, he was talking to you and me as well, not just the children of Israel. And so what he's dealing with here in this last chapter of Leviticus in chapter 27 is when you promise God something and then go back on it. (laughs) That's pretty much what it is. When you dedicate a life, when you dedicate your life or your child's life or whether it's an animal or a piece of land or a house and you say, I'm going to dedicate this thing to God, but then you wish to redeem it. Okay, that's a nice way of saying, but when you then change your mind, you know what I'm saying? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? You know, it's Sunday, right, in worship. Oh, and, or, or you're listening to a sermon or you're reading the Word and God's speaking and the Holy Spirit's working on you in your heart and you're feeling convicted and you're like, God, I'm going to change these things in my life. Lord, I want to make these things right and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to give this to you and then I'm going to give that to you. Then Wednesday comes, right? And then by Wednesday, for me, part of my silly testimony <laughs> is that when I was young in the faith, back walking with the Lord, newly, newly married to my poor wife, right, 
And we would go to the pastor's conferences, and I would get so fired up for the Lord. And this is why I love God, because he, he understands who we are. And I would get so fired up and excited for the Lord that I would come home and I'd be listening, I'm throwing out all the DVDs, or, or well, back then it was VHS tapes. I'm throwing out all my Bruce Lee VHS tapes, right? All my Kumu Tay Kung Fu VHS tapes. And I'm throwing, oh, this is not pleasing the Lord. And that's not what a Christian should be listening to. You think Jesus would sit around and watch Bruce Lee? Ooh, you know, he wouldn't do any. So I can't do any. And, that's not, and I'd break it, have the, I'd have the tape breaking ceremonies. And my wife would just be standing there going, look at this idiot. I can't, here we go again, Lord, you know, with this guy, you know. And then six months later, I'd be walking through a Walmart and I get to the discount bin, and I walk by, and, and, and it's Bruce Lee, and he's only four ninety nine for Bruce Lee. And I've never seen the Chinese connection. I, that's really, he really gets after people in that. And so I buy that one and maybe six Van Damme movies. I don't know, something like that. And now I'm right back to where I was. Now, here's what I want to I present to you. God, God, when I made those vows, wasn't like, okay, Val, I'm listening. Now, if you don't keep this vow, you're done to me. You're disremember. You're done. He wasn't like that then. And then when I went back on it and started picking these tapes back up, he wasn't looking down at me going, look at you, 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 you sicken me. Really, that's how, when I look at you. He didn't feel like that. And then afterwards, when I was home watching it, oh, you know, like that, he wasn't then going, well, Gabriel, what am I going to do? I mean, I can't use this guy anymore. He was never for a moment shaken or stirred or pushed off of his throne for even a minute because he knows my frame. He knows exactly who I am. And all that is a part of him teaching me and directing me. God wants you to just open up your life to him. You let him take care of the details. This is the gospel. You don't come into this church to clean up your life. Or before you start coming to this church, you better clean up your life. Oh, if I came to your church, you don't even know, dude. Your church would catch on fire or whatever. It's like, you, you haven't met the people there. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's still standing, you know, for some reason. And uh, <clears throat> that's not how it works. That's not how it works. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were ungodly, while we were enemies of God, because of our own sin, he died for us. He offered us redemption through the Father. That's how Jesus Christ feels about us. And he's never disappointed, and he's never finished with you. He who began a good work in you, the Bible says, is faithful to bring it to completion. Amen. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not finished yet. I'm not even close, right? I get up in the morning and I get in the mirror and I go, oh, man. It's like someone started building something out of clay and then just, it just fell apart and they left it there and it dried, you know what I mean? Like, Lord, but he's working in me. And every time God will allow inconvenience in my life and God will let my rage buttons get pushed and my wife, my, my wonderful wife, she's so encouraging, She'll come from around the corner and she'll be like, man, God loves doing that to you, doesn't he? <laughs> he, he loves getting out. He does. You know why? Because he loves me. And he's going to make sure that I'm trained. He's going to see to it that I'm trained. He's going to see to it that I'm developed according to the purpose that he has for my life because that's the God he is. He is a great father. He's a good, good father, right? That song, we love that song. It's who you are. That's who you are. You're a good, good father. And so he knows the end from the beginning, and he's telling Moses when they go back on it, because they will, here's the provision so that they can redeem these things back that they're going to take back 
because they weren't thinking it through or because circumstances changed and I'm going to allow for that in their lives. And I'm going to allow them to redeem it back at a price so that they don't walk away with any guilt, but they feel that there's vindication, that there's resolution, that there's nothing left in between me and them. That's why he offers this redemption, these redemption prices, because he knows who we are. And this is made clear in verse 8, and I love this in verse 8, because it says, but if he is too poor to pay the priest's valuation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for him according to the ability of him who vowed, the priest shall value him. And so the man makes this oath, he makes this promise, or a woman makes this oath, and makes this promise, and then she has to go back on it for whatever reason. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to continue this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to need this thing, and I, and I, and I feel terrible about this and I don't have any money with which to repay it. What am I going to do? And the priest is going to stand before this person and Jesus, and excuse, well, Jesus, yeah, but God says to Moses on Mount Sinai, and you're going to bestow grace upon them for me, Mo, according to what they can do, according to what they can afford. I still want them to give. I still want them to have an active participation in this relationship. I want them to feel that they're an active participant in it, whatever they can do. But I want them to know that before me, they're okay. They're okay. Now, when it gets down into the, uh, the animals, um, let's see, I want to get to verse 9. If it is an animal that men may bring as an offering to the Lord, that would be a clean animal, something that could be offered as a burnt offering or as a sin offering or a sacrifice. All that anyone gives to the Lord shall be holy, he shall not substitute it or exchange it, good for bad or bad for good. And if he at all exchanges animal for animal, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. What God is saying here is when it comes to your sacrifice, when it comes to the sacrifice that you're bringing to the temple or to the tabernacle, that burnt offering or that, or that, or that fellowship offering, when you're bringing that, when you've purposed in your heart that this belongs to God, you need to understand it now belongs to God. Right, okay? Christian? Now we're not talking about blood sacrifices here. But when you purpose in your heart, God, and you know, you know when something's real and when something's not real. And when you purpose in your heart, God, I'm giving this thing to you. He's going to take it. He's going to take it. And even if you want to take it back, okay, we're stewards. God is still going to take ownership over that thing. Now, he's speaking specifically about the sacrifices here. And what he's saying is this. He shall not substitute it, good for bad or bad for good. In other words, when he's bringing his sacrifice to the tabernacle and he's looking at this lamb, and this lamb is like my best lamb, you know what, on second thought, <laughs> I'm going to go back and I'm going to go get a less valuable one and I'm going to offer that one. Now what God is saying to Moses is, both of them belong to me. Now both of those belong to me, the good and the bad. And if it is an unclean animal, which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord, that would be, for example, a horse, okay? Not, a, not an animal that could be offered in sacrifice, but if they offered it for the service of the tabernacle to be used for pulling things, for whatever the case may be, 
which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord, then he shall present the animal before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as you, the priest, value it, so it shall be. But if he wants to at all redeem it, then he must add one-fifth to your valuation. It's interesting how God makes a distinction between redeeming people and redeeming objects and redeeming lands, and redeeming animals of sacrifice, and, and, and things of that nature. He's going to add one-fifth of it. And when, men, when a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall stand. If he who dedicated it wants to redeem his house, then he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, it shall be his. And if a man dedicates to the Lord part of a field of his possession... Then your valuation shall be according to the seed for it. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. And if he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, according to your valuation, it shall stand. Now, when it talks about the year of Jubilee, here, remember, when we talked about Jubilee, every 50 years, every 50 years, all of the land of the possession of your family was restored to you. So if you became poor, if you became destitute, if in your life you got to such a point where you had to sell off all of your family's land, which remember what God said, it's my land. It's my land that I'm giving to you for an inheritance, but understand that it's mine, just like these sacrifices. You may redeem it back, but it's mine. All of these, these lands belong to me, and so here's what he set up. If you have to sell these lands in order to pay off your debts, and whatever, and you fall into bad times. In the 50th year, which is a year of jubilee, all of those lands are restored, free of charge, to the family that they came from. So when you're buying land or you're selling land in the nation of Israel in those days, you always had to take into account where you were in that 50-year cycle. Does that make sense? And so the closer you were to that 50-year jubilee, the less value would be placed upon your home or your land or whatever it is that you were selling. Everything was worked that way. If it was right after the jubilee, it would have much more value. So that's what he's talking about here. Uh, <clears throat> but if he dedicates his field after the jubilee, then the priest shall reckon to him the money due according to the years that remain till the year of jubilee, and it shall be deducted from your valuation. And if he who dedicates the field ever wishes to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall belong to him. Now, this, again, is specifically things that have been sold or given into the service of God. And so you have this one-fifth added to it. You give somebody your horse. You give it to the tabernacle, and now they're using it to plow some of their fields. They're using it for whatever purpose. And then you, you decide, I need that back. I need to redeem that thing back. There'd be one-fifth added to it probably just because of the inconvenience that you're causing the, the, the priests. But the same thing with the land. But if he does not want to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it is released in the jubilee, shall be holy to the Lord as a devoted field. It shall be the possession of the priest. In other words, if you give your land, okay, or a portion of your land, I own 200 acres, and I go to the church, or I go to the tabernacle, I go to the priest, and I say, I want to give 50 acres of my land to the Lord for, for his purposes, for the priest to grow crops in, whatever the case may be. I want to give this 50 acres to the priest. But then... After I do that, I go and I sell the rest of my field. So that field no longer belongs to me. What I have shown here is that I never want that 50 acres back. Does that make sense? So even when the year of Jubilee comes, that 50 acres is going to remain the perpetual property of the priests. 
Okay, hopefully I haven't lost you yet. Uh, and if, if a man dedicates to the Lord a field which he has bought, which is not the field of his, of his possession, then the priest shall reckon to him the worth of your valuation up to the year of Jubilee, and he shall give your valuation on that day as a holy offering to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought, to the one who owned the land as a possession. And all your valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 garahs to the shekel. Now what he's talking about, if it wasn't confusing enough, sorry guys, this is where we're at. What he's talking about now is if I buy a piece of land from someone and then I take that piece of land that I have bought and give it to the priests or give it to be used in service of the Lord, okay, then... Everything has to be taken into account because on the year of Jubilee, the person, person from whom I bought it has a right to redeem it, okay? So God's taking all of these things into account and say, why? Why? Why do we get it? God knows people. God knew his people, and God knows exactly how we operate, and God knew exactly what a mess this would turn into. And so he makes provision for that. Verse 26. Uh, but the firstborn of the animals, which should be the Lord's firstborn, no man shall dedicate, whether it is an ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall redeem it according to your, your valuation and shall add one-fifth to it. Or, it is not redeem, or if it is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to your valuation. Nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has, both man and beast, or the field of his possession shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. No person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but surely shall be put to death. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And if a man wants to at all redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it, And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it be good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. So what God is talking about here, first of all, anything that already belongs to the Lord anyway, you don't get to redeem back. In other words, the tithes that belong to God, that he required of his people, a tenth, that offering, the first fruits, the first animal or person to break the womb belong to the Lord, all of these things. That wasn't something that we could redeem back. That's not something that we had rights to. In other words, what God is saying is if you walked out of this church and someone was standing by your car with the keys going, here, I have a gift for you. You'd go, first of all, get away. What's wrong with you? That's mine. You're going to get to then offer it to me as a gift. So what God is preventing here are people bringing things that belong to him anyway by commandment and saying, here, a gift to the Lord. No, that's what you're supposed to do, right? This is something that I was reading through this. I'm like, oh boy, how I can't be this guy. How I can't be this guy. When the Bible talks about in Romans of offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. And remember what he says right after that? which is our reasonable service. That's not extra credit, right? It's not like something that there's extra bonus credit for, offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Our bodies were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We belong to him. Anything that I give him or anything that I keep myself from or anything that I do according to the word of God is just me doing what I'm called to do as a believer. That's it. 
It's my reasonable service. There's no extra credit there. And the same thing went for the children of Israel. Now, notice what it says, too, all, uh, no devoted thing or no person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. Remember in 1 Samuel, the story of Agag, the king, king of the Amalekites, and Samuel told Saul, you're going to go up against the Amalekites and you're going to utterly destroy them. You're going to utterly wipe them out. And you're not going to leave anything. This is God's judgment against the Amalekites. And it's not for you to, to say yay or nay, but this is what God is telling you to do. And remember, Samuel or Saul went up against the Amalekites and God gave him the victory, but he spared Agag the king and he spared the best from the flocks. Exactly what God had told him not to do, Saul did. And remember when Samuel came and said, hey, how'd it go? How's everything going? He says, oh man, we've done everything that the Lord has asked us to do. Remember what Samuel said? Then what is that bleeding of sheep that I hear? And Saul goes, oh, well, I was going to offer those to the Lord as a sacrifice. And that's when Samuel uttered those famous words, right? Does the Lord require offering, sacrifice, burnt offering? The Lord desires obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. But rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And a lifted up haughty heart is like divination. That's what he said. And remember what he told Saul then? Because you've rejected God, he's rejected you as king. So that's what God is saying here. Anything that I have said, and, and this includes people who are under the death penalty under the Mosaic law, they could not then be redeemed. Oh, I'd like to redeem this person. I'd like to redeem this person. You can't redeem that person. That's going against God's law. That's going against what God had said. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. We'll stop there. Um, I know some of these things are like, why on earth? <laughs> but we're going to be faithful to the word of God, and we're going to go straight through it. We're going to start numbers next week, and I promise we're going to try to do is swallow as much as we can at once, and get through it uh, so we don't bore you guys to death. But there are some still amazing tidbits and some amazing things that God has in his word for you and I, no matter where it is in scripture that we study, there are some amazing truths that God has for us. And when it comes to these sacrifices, when it comes to giving something to the Lord, dedicating something to the Lord, devoting something to the Lord, it's so wonderful to, for me, when I read this, to see that even under the law, even under the old covenant, the mercy that God showed his people because he knew who they were, he understood who they were, and he showed them mercy. And that's what communion is all about. That's what communion is all about. Jesus Christ, knowing exactly who each one of us were, knowing exactly who we were, and God knowing exactly who we were, he still provided for you and I a sacrifice for all of our sins and a way back to God. This is the bridge that reconnects us to God that was lost all those years ago in the Garden of Eden. You read that portion and it talks about God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and sitting with them and talking with them. And the one thing that he said to them is do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. And we, we know the rest. But man, oh man, you know when you've, in your life when you've done something wrong, when you've done something and you know you've blown it, that feeling that you have, that sick feeling inside. Can you imagine Adam and Eve? Everything changed. Everything in their world changed on that day. And Jesus Christ is our way back to that fellowship with God. 
And I love it that before Jesus Christ goes to the cross, before Jesus Christ is offered up as a sacrifice for you and I, he breaks bread with his disciples in the form of the Passover meal. And he says, this is about fellowship. This is about fellowship being restored between you and my Father. And he talks to them about heaven. And he talks about preparing a place for them. And if I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself that where I am, you can be also. And he broke bread with them. And he shared this meal with them. And he directed us to pass this on from generation to generation to generation. So that whenever we take communion, we could remember this is about fellowship with God. This is about fellowship with God. This is not about your church attendance. This is not about you always doing the right things. This is about having fellowship with God, that it was given to us, it was won back for us by Jesus Christ. And every time we share this table together, it's sharing a meal with Jesus. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So we'll have our uh, musicians come back up. We're going to have our ushers come on up, and we'll pass out the elements here.